You're listening to The Overwhelmed Brain. Today's episode is brought to you by StoryWorth. If you're looking for that unique gift that will show someone special just how special they are, go to storyworth.com forward slash brain and get $20 off the gift of their life. Hey, isn't Father's Day coming up? Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away. If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, personal empowerment coach and host of The Overwhelmed Brain. This is the personal growth show for the critical thinker. On every episode, we'll talk about practical down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason, causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. Everything I talk about on this show should not be mistaken for actual medical advice or treatment and is intended to be for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your medical treatment. What you'll find here is an increase in your emotional intelligence, a strengthening of your self-worth and self-esteem, the motivation to be your authentic self, and the forward momentum to help you learn, heal, grow, and evolve. All right, I'm going to get right into a topic here. This is a letter that I received recently. And uh, it's a compliment and a question, but it's a real quick one. And uh, it's a good subject to start off with because uh, some people in the world are going through this now and some people have gone through it. And um, I've talked about this before, but I'm going to approach it in the context and light of this letter. And it's about forgiveness. So I'll read this now. Uh, This person says, I have ADHD, general anxiety, depression, Acute panic disorder and my awesome boyfriend turned your show on for me. I have listened to a lot of your podcasts and they were all written for me. I have a lot of trauma from birth till about a year ago. Your show is a blessing. You are a blessing. And on top of all of this, I was married to a paranoid, schizophrenic, narcissistic, mentally ill man. How do I forgive him when he robbed me of 20 years with his verbal and mental abuse? Thank you so much for your show. You rock. You may proudly use my name. It is Don. Don, thank you so much. That is a great comment, and I am honored. Thank you. And that is a great question. So, yes, I used your real name, Don. I appreciate you, Don. Uh, Your question is excellent because uh, forgiveness is one of those topics that um, I don't agree with some people on. I think uh, forgiveness is a a very self-healing thing. And doesn't necessarily need to be about anyone but yourself. Forgiveness to me is never about the other person. It's about you. Because you feel like you still have something inside of you, whether that's anger, hatred, resentment, something pointed toward another person. And you believe that if I can come to a place inside of myself of forgiveness, then I'll be able to let those things go. If I can forgive that person. Where I go with this is that forgiveness is all about giving yourself a break for 
who you were and the decisions that you made at the time. You've heard me talk about this before if you've been listening a while. Uh, forgiveness is not about them. It's about you. Forgiveness is for giving yourself a break. <laughs> Think about it that way. Give yourself a break. Don't be hard on yourself. So let's talk about this. When you're hard on yourself for the mistakes that you made, for the decisions that you made, for the behavior that you did, then you get to keep the negativity that comes with it. You get to keep um, all the resistance to moving on that comes with it because you're so hard on yourself. We think it's the other person. Like, I just need to forgive that person for what they did to me. No, I believe you need to forgive yourself. Forgive yourself a break for being the person you were at that time. Not that you were a bad person. But what happens inside is that you're being hard on yourself for, you know, fill in the blank, being so stupid. <laughs> being with someone who hurt me. Exposing myself to that poison, that toxic person all these years. What an idiot I am. I'm filling in words. They may be wrong. They, your words can be a lot different than mine. But, you know, in the past when I've made mistakes, I would say those things. Even now, I might say those things. God, I'm so stupid. <laughs> so I need to come to a place inside myself where I go, hey, you know, back off. You just didn't know better. You didn't have the experience. You didn't have the history. You had to learn for the first time or the second or the third. You had to go through it until the lesson uh, sometimes is beaten into you. Hopefully not physically, but sometimes that needs to happen. Sometimes the lesson so that you can take it with you to have healthy relationships, to be in healthy environments, to be away from toxic people, those lessons that you learned 20 years ago, 10 years ago, a year ago, sometimes need to be burned into your brain in the way that works best. If you read a book that said, the following characteristics indicate an abusive relationship. You might read that and go, wow, that's all the information I need to avoid an abusive relationship. But then when you get into an abusive relationship, you see all the signs and you remember reading that book, but you still don't leave because all these variables. He's such a nice guy or girl or he's had a hard life or she said she was sorry and I really believe that she meant it. You know, all these uh, things that we come up with to see them in a different light, to give them the, the benefit of doubt, uh, to not see them as completely evil or, you know, in relationships, we, that's what we tend to do is that someone does something bad. And uh, sometimes if we are at all compassionate, kind or generous, we tend to see through the bad stuff and go, oh, well, they're just in pain. They're just hurt. Or they didn't mean it. I can tell how sorry they were. I mean, this sounds like last week's episode. <laughs> I was talking about emotional abuse. Very similar. There's a lot of uh, similarities in the stuff I talk about regarding relationships when it comes to someone who is being, I should say, more victimized than the other person. Because victimization can go both ways. There can be an emotional abuser, and then the other person also is doing some sort of abuse, and it's, it's a vicious cycle that goes back and forth. Your triggers activate, my triggers activate, your triggers, so on and so forth. Then you see all the signs that um, there needs to be healing, there needs to be 
therapy or coaching or something to help the people in the relationship understand what's happening. But unless you understand what's happening, then uh, you don't really do anything about it and you keep going and going and going. Which is my point about, you know, you opening a book and seeing all the signs of abuse. And uh, even though you know the signs, you still don't leave the relationship. Well, why not? Because that information was not burned into your brain enough for you to learn and apply the lessons. Sometimes you can only apply lessons that are deeply instilled into you so that they become automatic and a personal boundary that will never be crossed by anyone. Sometimes the lesson needs to be, and I hate to use this term because I know there are people out there that have actually been hurt physically, but sometimes that those lessons need to be beaten into you. And I don't mean the, your partner beating a lesson into you literally. I mean you learn from something that's hardcore like that. You learn your lesson and go, wow, now I know that I will never allow that in my life again. Boy, when you can come to that place inside of you, that will never be in my life again. You know that lesson worked. <laughs> you know that sticks. So I look at uh, Dawn, and she was in a relationship for 20 years with, um, I think she named every single uh personality disorder here. Let me look. <laughs> I was married to a paranoid, schizophrenic, narcissistic, mentally ill man. How do I forgive him when he robbed me of 20 years? Verbal and mental abuse. So, yes, one, forgiveness is not about the other person. It's about you. So, come to a place inside yourself and forgive the person that you were that believed things would get better. Forgive the person that you were that was afraid to do anything sooner. You don't have to forgive him. Unless you are claiming to be some, um, I don't know, i got to be careful when I say this, <laughs> religious figure and forgives everyone, or you are high in nobility. In, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this, but I think you know what I'm saying is that you don't have to be the one that forgives someone else. You can, if you want. You can absolutely do it. If you feel it in your heart and you mean it, do it. But don't forgive someone else if you don't mean it. Because if it's not in you, it's not in you. It's not going to happen. The idea is that when you forgive yourself for who you were and the decisions that you made, you release the negativity, or at least that's the hope, that's the plan, is that when you forgive yourself, you suddenly start focusing on what you want in life instead of what you didn't want or don't want. I want this. I want someone who is honest. I want someone that doesn't abuse me, even though that looks like a don't want. I don't want someone who abuses me. The idea is that when you forgive yourself, you become more clear. God, what, what did I do back then? Hey, I, you know what? I forgive you. Stop saying it to yourself. I forgive me. I forgive me. I mean, it would be great if it was that easy. I forgive myself. Maybe it is. Maybe it will be. Hey, self, I forgive you. I like to look at it as uh, forgiving the, the child inside of you that made decisions that didn't work out so well. You can forgive a child. Your inner child that you carry around everywhere you go made some mistakes or 
didn't make a mistake and thought they were doing the right thing, but got into trouble and it didn't work out because that child doesn't know everything. It's doing its best. That child's doing his or her best. So you either come to a forgiveness of that part of you or you stay in that negativity. And holding on to negativity uh, pretty much prevents you from any type of personal growth. It is inner pain. It's an emotional wound. So Don, let me tell you what to look at. You weren't robbed of all those years. It just took you that long to learn what you needed to learn. I like to see things like that as emotional college. <laughs> you had 20 years of emotional college where you had, believe it or not, the greatest teacher of your life. It's kind of hard to think about. I look at my stepfather and go, wow, he was the greatest teacher of my life. How can I feel so thankful for that? <laughs> How can I feel thankful for him? I try that on and I go, I'm not very thankful for him. He did a lot of damage in my family. I'm not thankful for him. But I am thankful for the experience. I am thankful for the person that I became because of that, because of him. I am thankful for the environment he created that gave me the wisdom to make the decisions I make today. I'm thankful that I can share my stories on the air and help others. I am so grateful for that. Where can you find your gratefulness for what lessons you learned from your years in your emotional college? I mean, the, the worst, the toxic people that bring about uh, dysfunction, abuse, and trauma in our lives are some of our greatest teachers. What took you 20 years to learn sometimes takes other people twice that or they, they die without the lesson. They never learn the lesson. So for you to do it in the tiny little time frame of 20 years, and I say tiny because I look at my mom, who was married to my stepfather for 40 plus years, she had to go double the time before she graduated. <laughs> she had to get to that place where she finally learned because Quite frankly, she wasn't ready yet. She needed more lessons. And what happened with her is what happens with a lot of people. Uh, she believed she didn't have a choice. Many victims of abuse believe they have no choice. So forgive yourself for believing that you had no choice. Because at that time, you really believed that you had no choice. And for all intents and purposes, you didn't have a choice. You were there, you felt like you had to stay, whether it was fear, whether it was something else, insecurities, whether it was um, you were getting all your self-worth from the abuser because they set it up that way. There's all kinds of variables that you were, let's just say, duped into. You were duped into that relationship, or at least staying in that relationship. Because there are some people who know how to game the relationship system and keep you in the position they want you in and make you want to stay there even though you don't like it, even though you're getting uh, damaged, even though they are hurting you, whatever it is, they know how to play the game. And the more innocent minds that don't know the game don't even know what's going on. It's like some of the articles I read about criminals who uh, do these crazy um, schemes and they make a lot of money. And I read these articles and I go, 
I could never think like they do. <laughs> How do they do that? I mean, sometimes I will say this. That's brilliant. <laughs> that's brilliant. How did they figure that out? It's because they've been in the system for so long trying to con people, trying to work it to their advantage so that they could make the most money or gain the most power or whatever they do. And they learn how the system works. Whatever system you study and experiment in over and over and over again, you're going to learn how it works. That's why emotional abusers are so good at what they do. They learn how the system works because they've tried almost everything to get what they want in every way they want. And so when you enter an emotional abuser's life, uh, for example, it's very hard to get out because they set you up to fail at every crossroad because they've tested every crossroad. They've tested every outcome, every result. And suddenly you are part of their experiment, so to speak, and you're stuck and you feel like you have no choice. Now, there's a point you reach where you finally do believe you have a choice. but I've learned that choices only present themselves when you've stopped believing there's a chance that things could get better. When I came to the point in my marriage where my wife was like, there's no way we're getting back together. When I was finally convinced that what she said was true, then the choices presented themselves to me. New choices. Choices to heal. Choices to move on. Choices to find a different path. Even though I didn't want it to end, um, this is kind of an opposite example where I didn't want something to end and she did, at least I realized that there, there was no chance that this situation would get any better. And suddenly choices appeared. I mean, that's mainly our perception, right? Suddenly we realize that there's no getting past this locked door, so we have no other choice but to get around it or take another path, take another door. Once we get to that state of mind, then we see the choices. So you can't see those choices when you don't understand that it's not going to get any better. Abuse victims typically will think, it's got to get better. It wasn't as bad as yesterday. It's like, um, I did talk a little bit about physical abuse on, on one episode where it's like if you got smacked in the face one day and then two months later there was no other smack in the face, but you got yelled at really badly. You develop the um, resilient, abused mind that says, well, at least it's not a smack in the face. And then two months later, you get smacked in the face again. And it, it shocks you and you go, oh, I didn't think this was coming again. Uh, wow. Well, at least I know what to expect. There's some of that resilient, abused mindset still blossoming, still being precipitated. And then you decide, well... It was great for two months. Um, maybe I just need to change my behavior. Maybe he'll get better. Maybe things will get better. And then three months down the road, he or she kicks you. And then you're like, oh, kick. Oh, my God. I can't believe how bad it's gotten. But then all the variables come into play where, you know, I feel sorry for that person. Or that person had a hard life. Or that person was abused. Your compassion plays a part. And other things that uh, make you stay and think you really don't have a choice because if you leave, then you're the bad one. Or if you leave, maybe you have fear. There's all kinds of variables. But the resilient, abused mind is now even more resilient because a kick is not enough to get you out of the relationship. So 
a month or two later, you get smacked in the face again, and you go, wow, a smack in the face, at least it's not a kick. And this cycle repeats over and over again until it gets to the point where you go, wow, this is so bad, there's no chance it's going to get better. But that is the abused mind at work. The abused mind always thinks there's a chance it's going to get better. The abused mind doesn't look at the trend that's been happening over the past few months or years and go, wow, it's gotten worse (laughs) regularly. Every few months, it's gotten worse. It's never gotten better. Or maybe it stayed the same, but it was always bad. So the abused mind uh, increases the toleration level, increases the resilience. And then pretty soon, you are in such a deep state of resilience, toleration, and denial that uh, you can take almost anything. It's unhealthy, it's toxic, yet you were conditioned, you were groomed into that space inside your mind, and that's your new normal, and you feel like, well, there's no way out. It's It'll get better eventually, or at least it's not getting any worse. And there's another place that um, abuse victims will go. At least it's not getting any worse. So there's a whole slew of complexities in there that we can talk about. But going back to Don's letter, Don, forgive yourself for the person you were that believed things would get better. Forgive yourself for the person you were that was afraid to do anything sooner. I know I said those once. I'm saying them again because they're important. You don't have to forgive him. He's a jerk. (laughs) He will probably be a jerk to the next person that he drags into his life. And hopefully that person will learn their lessons sooner and graduate from their emotional college sooner. I mean, it all depends on your foundation, right? If you were brought up dysfunctionally, then you are more likely to stay in a dysfunctional relationship. So maybe his next relationship will be with someone who has a stronger emotional foundation, a stronger emotional core, uh, stronger boundaries, so that when he tries to pull those shenanigans again, his next partner will be like, what? I am out of here. You are a piece of garbage. I don't want this in my life. See ya. But that might be because she's had some emotional college before. Or she wasn't broken down enough. I mean, that's what happens. You get broken down, broken down. In childhood, you might get broken down by uh, dysfunctional parents, other toxic people, where you get into a relationship where it's better than a broken down relationship. So it's good enough. And then you stay. That's another one of those wild variables. And now let me end this uh, segment, Don, with this. Uh, I wrote this down. Hang on. Hindsight is our worst critic and our greatest storyteller at the same time. We tend to view mistakes in the past as mistakes that we'd make today. You have to make mistakes yesterday so that you don't make them today. You have to go through these learnings so that you know what not to do and who not to be with in order for you to have healthy relationships. You have to. So here's another way to look at this is that had you not gone through that experience, even though it lasted a long 20 years, you now have a bunch more years ahead of you where you don't have to go through that again. Hopefully you don't. Hopefully you have learned. Hopefully you graduated your emotional college with honors. (laughs) And you're going to find a relationship that gives you the uh, healthy, reciprocating, 
loving, nurturing, supportive person that you deserve. Because here's what happened. If you are healing and you have healed from a lot of this stuff, healed people and those who are healing attract and are attracted to healed people and those who are healing. Unhealed or emotionally wounded people attract and are attracted to other emotionally wounded and wounding people. So this is how you gauge where you are in life by the people that you are with. Looking at what you're attracted to is a great gauge in telling you where you are in the emotional healing level. Attracting abusive partners is a wake-up call to stop dating, look inward, start healing, and noticing what about those people attracted you. I just learned a term recently. I should have known this because I've done a lot of work on emotional abuse, uh, not only in my own life, but a lot of study. Uh, the term love bombing. I was like, what? Love bombing? What is this? It's when they shower you, and I've talked about this, when they shower you with love and gifts and warm heart, and you feel like, wow, this is the person I want in my life. That first few months of that honeymoon stage, they amplify the honeymoon stage to make you think you're going to be treated as a god or goddess, wherever you are in the spectrum in there. And uh, they keep showing up like that until they realize they have you, and then they turn the tables and become something else. You just have to watch to see, wait, is this amplified? Is their behavior amplified? Do they talk about their shortcomings and their vulnerabilities? Or is it all about me? Is it all about you're showering me with love and gifts and it doesn't end and then I'll move in with you and then suddenly I feel like I'm in prison? You just have to watch out for that and be aware. And going through the emotional lessons that you went through, Don, you are more aware now. You know the signs. You could write the book. <laughs> you could write the book on it and share it with others. Because you know what to look for. And I tell you what, some people go a lifetime without ever learning and they die miserable. They die with people they hate. I don't want you to be that way. I don't want anyone listening now to go through that. I know you feel like you have no choice or you still need to learn the lessons or there's something else. There's children involved. There's uh, no money and there's no place to move. All of these things seem like very reasonable, very rational, I don't want to call them excuses, but stories and things that we make up just because uh, there's nothing else we can possibly do. If it feels that way for you, it's probably true. You probably believe and you can't see a choice. And I guarantee you, a choice will present itself once you realize that things will never get better. And only you can determine that. How do you do that? Look at the past. Look at the trend. Has the trend been getting worse and worse and worse? Or has it just been the same, always bad? Or has it been getting better? Look at the trends and only the trends. Not what's happening in the moment. Not what's happening today. This is your chance to not be present. <laughs> Don't be in the present moment when it comes to uh, any type of um, abusive relationship. Look in the past, look at the trends, then you'll see where it's going. It's that line of the past that's either rising like a mountain or falling like a valley 
or staying the same like, um, uh, I don't know, the horizon. <laughs> and just determine where it's going to go from that. Anyway, Don, you said some amazing things about me. I appreciate you. Your letter was incredible because you've gotten past some pretty hard stuff. Start on self-forgiveness. Get there. Forgive yourself. Move on. Take those lessons with you and start enjoying life again. Thank you so much for writing. We'll be right back after this. Are you ready for Father's Day? There's a long period of time when I didn't talk to my father. And just days before he passed, I got to know him from a whole new perspective. I rekindled our relationship. And it felt good to visit with him from this uh, new place of me. But he passed on. And I was grateful to have those last few days with him. And now, many years later, I think about how much I actually knew about him. I mean, as a kid, I didn't really care about his background or his upbringing. I was thinking about other things. But as an adult, I do wish I had some sort of chronicle of his life so that I could learn more about the person I never got to know that was a major part of my life for a long time. I wish I had StoryWorth. I think my siblings and I, and their children, would have enjoyed reading about his life in his own words. StoryWorth allows someone to tell their story so that others can share in their experience and learn who that person really is underneath. It's a service that sends questions once a week to the individual you gift it to so that they can leave their legacy in the form of something that, well, we see less and less of every day. A hardcover book. <laughs> we get so lost in our gadgets and technology that just picking up a book every now and then actually feels like a step into a more peaceful time. StoryWorth gives you that feeling, especially when you're reading about someone you know and love. I want you to visit storyworth.com forward slash brain to get $20 off the gift of someone's life story. Imagine just being able to open up your mom or dad's story or your grandparents in their words with the pictures they've added in a beautifully formatted and crafted hardcover book. I missed the opportunity with my dad, but I don't say that from a place of sadness. We had a disconnect for over 10 years, but came back together in the right time when we were both ready. Sometimes it just works out that way. But I'm not passing up this opportunity again. When there's someone I love that I would like to know more about, or even someone that just likes telling stories from their past, I give the gift of StoryWorth. I even gifted StoryWorth to uh, my girlfriend's mom, and she loved it. She just got it, and she can't wait to start writing about her experiences in life. I mean, you don't have to write a novel, just a few sentences. And after a year, they'll have a story that they can share with their friends and family that will caused you to ask them lots of questions, I'm sure. <laughs> so I want you to visit storyworth.com forward slash brain and get $20 off the gift of someone's life. And did I mention Father's Day? It might be just what you need. And if Father's Day isn't relevant for one reason or another, check it out anyway. I can almost guarantee someone you know would love this gift. Storyworth.com forward slash brain.
Welcome back. This is Ask Paul. This is where I normally read an email. Sometimes I read it in the first segment, too. It depends on the subject matter of the day. But I'm going to read you another email and uh, see if I can help this person through the challenge they're going through. person who wrote, I'm going to call Sandy. Hi, Paul. A friend of mine recently turned me on to your podcast, and you featured her story in one of your latest episodes and really seemed to help her. I find your podcast fascinating, and the techniques you suggested are really interesting. Thank you, Sandy. This friend encouraged me to write to you as well. I'm not sure how to handle this situation I'm dealing with. Since about a few months ago, I've been casually talking to and seeing a coworker. However, the situation is complicated. She just recently ended a very controlling, physically and emotionally abusive relationship. I don't know if she's ever had healthy relationships in her past. She pursued me almost right away and was very forward after the breakup which I was hesitant about because I knew a little bit about her, about her situation. We started hanging out and things evolved much quicker than expected. Within the first week, we spent a great deal of time together and I was meeting multiple groups of her friends. From what she said, she started to feel a lot for me and it scared her, so she backed off a great deal. She's been very honest with me about feeling scared and confused and stressed with the entire situation and she knows that she's not in a place in her life right now to be with someone as she sorts through her feelings and figures everything out. She needs time and space. I understand her feelings, and her feelings are completely valid. I understand that she is having confidence and self-esteem issues. She often has said that I'm too good for her, and that she doesn't deserve me. I understand that she is working on feeling deserving and lovable, and that the fear overcomes her. However, the trouble I'm having is that I guess I got way too caught up in everything at the beginning, and it's been hard for me to readjust where we are now, and backing off. I can't really explain it, and I don't understand why I feel like this, other than I'm, quote, hung up on her. And I haven't felt like this for anyone else before. We've agreed to continue to occasionally talk and hang out and see where things go, but not nearly like in the beginning. From what she has said, she wants to continue whatever it is we're doing, and I really do think she sees something more with us down the road, as do I. I don't know if I'm waiting around or what I'm doing in this limbo right now, but the anxiety of what if has been difficult to deal with and often all-consuming. I guess my questions to you are, how do I not let this situation and thinking about everything consume me? How do I relax myself and let go of that anxiety? Also, I can't force her into anything and I can't force her to change her opinions about herself. But what can I do? If anything to encourage her to not feel scared about opening herself up again and to take that risk and show her that she is deserving of a really great relationship? Thanks so much for your advice and help. I really appreciate it. All right, Sandy, thank you so much for sharing this, and uh, we'll see if I help. <laughs> we'll see if you're thanking me because I'm, I'm not too sure where this is going to go uh, quite yet. I mean, the very first thing that I think about is um, when someone comes out or let me put it this way, when someone has a string of abusive relationships, they have a characteristic or a quality about them that keeps bringing abusive people into their life. And this becomes a pattern uh, of, I don't know, um, completion in their life. Like when they find someone who's abusive, it completes a certain pattern for them. It's, um, trying to think of the best way to say it. It, uh, it makes them feel more whole. Even though it's unhealthy, it still makes them feel like 
this is right. This is the way it's supposed to be. And very likely she got that thinking process from childhood, knowing that when she received love from a caretaker or parents that were neglectful or abusive or she went through any type of trauma where uh, supposed love and support and nurturing was involved, then she has a, a toxic cocktail of love and pain, love and abuse. So when she gets into a relationship, if there's no abuse, there's no love. And, you know, I could be wrong here. And I'm, like I said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to give you the answers you want or if they are the right answers. I don't know enough about her, about you, about the whole situation. I know what you've told me. And I can go on that and say that uh, because you said she's been in a string of these relationships and she finally finds, and I'm going to just kind of make up some words here. They probably are true. She finally finds someone nice like you. She doesn't know what to do with it. It doesn't feel like love to her. It's uh, a foreign concept. What do I do with this person? I don't know what to expect. And that's another thing is that sometimes Abuse survivors, trauma survivors, neglect survivors can uh, develop an attitude of, oh, someone's being nice to me, that must mean they're going to hurt me eventually. And so this could explain the pattern of her wanting to keep her distance from you. I mean, it's possible. Now there's that angle. The other angle that I might take with you is that she is no longer interested in the relationship. And if she has any fears about expressing herself and being honest, she's going to make stuff up. I hate to say this because if it's true, it's not very pleasant. And it's kind of in your face like, oh, if she doesn't love me anymore, that might mean she's making stuff up to avoid connecting with me. Or she's afraid to be in love with you so she wants to keep her distance indefinitely, causing you to be in this, you know, what's next state? When will this end state? You know, it's something I call an open loop. The loop is open. The circuit is open. And until it's closed, you don't have a solution, a, a way out. You just feel like, oh, like you said, I'm in a waiting game. Now I wait. But now I also think, well, does she still love me? Does she want this? Does she want to have a future with me? I don't know. Let me just break it to you gently. Usually what happens during the waiting game is that you wait forever. That's not very gentle. I'm sorry. But this is, this is what happens is that when you put someone in a waiting game, it's because you know, there's, there's several reasons for it, but someone putting you in a waiting game means I'm in control of my life and I'm going to keep people at the distance I want to keep them until I'm ready for them. When you look at that from far away, it doesn't look too bad. It just looks like she wants to make sure she's not hurt. Okay, so she wants to make sure she's not hurt. Until she goes through some enlightening or healing process or breakdown of some sort or breakthrough, she's always going to be in that space. She's always going to make you wait. And this is where I, uh, again, break the news that you will probably be waiting forever. 
Now, that's not pleasant to hear, especially because you have feelings for her. But there's a level of acceptance that I need you to get to get to. And if you've been listening to my show for the past few weeks, this acceptance uh, pattern has been uh, prevalent in uh, many of my responses because people tend to wait for a long time until someone else changes. And really, change shouldn't be something you wait for. Change should be something you do. Change is in you where you go, you know, the world may never uh, change to uh, accommodate me. So I need to change in me. I'm not saying you have to change to accommodate the world, although that can be helpful <laughs> depending on where you are, depending on who you're with. But you need to look at your world. You need to look at what's real for you today and go, in order for me to feel better, I either need to accept what is today or change and move in a different direction. Change is probably not the word I want to use here because it sounds like, oh, I need to change for other people. I, I don't mean that. I just mean that what you're doing now isn't working. What you're doing now is you're in a state of anxiety and you probably have extra thoughts in your mind when when she's looking at other people or talking to other people or maybe she's considering dating someone else. Maybe she goes on a date with someone else and you're like, well, maybe there's still a chance for us. Or or you start making up these uh, stories in your mind. Well, she needs to um, experience other people to understand that I'm a good person, that uh, these people aren't as good as I am. Or maybe she'll learn that um, what she has between us is great, but she needs to go through that first so she can understand that about us. If you uh, rely on your stories, then you will continue setting yourself up for failure, for disappointment, for unhappiness. So I highly suggest that you reach a place in yourself that uh, knows that she will keep you waiting forever. It's unpleasant to hear, but if you come to a place of acceptance of that, then you can start moving forward in life. You can start making decisions for you, for what you want to do. You can start seeing other people if you want, or at least start healing inside of you because you have uh, feelings for this person. And because you have feelings for, these, for this person, there's a place that you went that was pretty deep, and uh, you probably fell in love, and now what do you do? You just turn love off and then do something else? Well, let me put it this way. Again, today is the gauge, not tomorrow, not yesterday. Today, how things are today is your gauge. And if today isn't the way you want it to be, then you have to accept that it won't be that way. Yes, there are exceptions. Yes, there's always exceptions to this rule, but uh, it's not even a rule. It's just something I say. <laughs> but today is the day. So if you can gauge what your life is going to be by looking at today and ask yourself, if this is the way it is from this point on, will that be okay with me? Because I have a feeling deep down inside or maybe right up front, <laughs> right inside of you at the frontal lobe of your brain, it's an immediate, no, I don't want this for the rest of my life. I want to be with her or I want to be happy or I want to be in love with someone. So it's important that you start gauging what's happening in your life by today. Now, what are the exceptions? The exceptions are 
has it been great more than it's not been great? Has it been great, you know, 90% of the time? The time you spend with her is wonderful and you're enjoying 90% of it. But it's that 10% every now and then it kind of sucks and uh, she is very defensive or she is protecting herself so she's distant. And uh, if that's okay with you, that's fine. Or has it been 10% of the time? It's great. We hang out, we get along, and it's like old times. But 90% of the time, she keeps her distance. 90% of the time, she's emotionally detached from me. 90% of the time, so on and so on. So I like to look at the, the trend from the past to now. This is with any relationship. If you're in a relationship where you're more happy more often than not, then that's a good cycle and and there's room for improvement. There's always room for improvement anyway. But if you're more unhappy more often than not, or things are going in a way that you don't like and you wish they went in a different direction, then you might be uh, in a situation that uh, isn't going to change and may even get worse and harder. Because I guarantee if, if she started seeing someone else and she said, you know, I still don't know about us, you and her, that's going to hurt. That's not going to be fun at all. And if I'm going to use my instinct here. I have a feeling that might, oh, I better not say it. I have a feeling that might happen someday. Someone who keeps their distance from you wants you to be there for their convenience. This, is, this actually sounds terrible and take it with a grain of salt for now. She wants you to be there for her convenience when she's ready to talk to you, but not make the commitment. So it's almost like you are a uh, backup plan. Again, that's terrible. This is a in-your-face segment, I guess. I apologize. But um, I do want you to come to a place of some realizations that this isn't going anywhere. The way it is now, it's not going anywhere. And you can stay in this limbo state or you can move forward knowing that it's not going anywhere. So... What is the caveat? The caveat is she has a sudden breakthrough or she becomes enlightened or she gets a therapeutic help and she's no longer in a state that abusive people are more appealing than nice people. That could happen tomorrow. That could happen in 10 years. It could happen. But from what you've seen, is she going in that direction? So, you know, I've been in a situation like this. I think I talked about this on the air a few months ago, where I broke up with a girl and she wanted to see me still, almost at the same level you're talking about here. She wanted to see me. We, she wanted to rollerblade together and she wanted to just have fun together, but not be in a relationship. And every night we were together, it was so hard to leave. I wanted to hold her. I wanted to love her. I wanted to kiss her. And she made it very clear that that's not what this relationship was about. Yet she still called me and she still wanted to be with me. So I, I felt like, I don't know, I felt like there was mixed feelings, mixed signals there. But really, when I look back, there were no mixed signals. She made it very clear that she didn't want to be with me. She didn't say those words, but she gave every indication that, you know, when I would go for anything more than a hug, that it would be, nope. <laughs> it would be, this is not, uh, no, what is it? No, um, no trespassing. 
And so she made that clear. And eventually I, I realized, wow, I, I keep chasing my tail here. I keep chasing a dream, a dream that's not going to come true, yet I keep hoping that it will. And I went through a period of time that uh, I didn't believe in the word hope. It's like, you know, hope keeps me wondering. Hope keeps me contemplating. Hope keeps me hoping for a future that never happens. I keep setting myself up for disappointment and failure. How long am I going to hope? How many people are going to come into my life that might be a potentially good partner, a potentially great partner, yet I'm hoping this other one works out? That hope word kept egging at me, and I was finally sick of it, and I said, I I'm done with this hoping. I, I don't want to hope that we get back together anymore. I just want to stop this ridiculousness. I feel like I'm being dragged around and I'm not getting reciprocal feelings uh, back, so I should just stop the hoping and either accept that we are only friends or we can't be anything. And I got to that point where we couldn't be anything because I had feelings. I, when I was with her, I wanted to be with her. And when I wasn't with her, I was thinking about her. So I had to come to a place of closing that open loop that I had. You know, I felt more whole when we were in a relationship together, and I felt not so whole when I kept hoping that we were in that relationship together. And so what I did was realize that I needed to fill the gap with something else or someone else, because she's not going to be able to do that for me. I talk about, you know, relationships and how you can look at someone else and think they complete you and I don't agree with that. I don't think anyone needs to complete you. I think you need to go into a relationship already as complete as you can be and enjoy someone else's company and be with them and share with them and uh, be vulnerable with them and feel safe with them and all of that. And it can feel like there's a, a wholeness in that unity, in that relationship. But if you go into a relationship with a missing piece and that person fills that missing piece, it's a tricky one because if that missing piece is based on dysfunction and you have a need and they fulfill that need, then it's, uh, it could become a dysfunctional relationship. That's why I talk about, you know, arriving to a relationship as whole, as healthy, as happy as you can be. We'll work on it for the rest of our lives, I'm sure. You know, you always work on yourself trying to be as healthy and happy and, I guess, mentally evolved as you can be in hopes that we would meet someone else that worked on themselves and uh, are as healthy and whole and mentally evolved as they can be. And there's always going to be challenges, and there's always going to be triggers that we set off in each other. But um, when we go into a relationship where we have this need for someone else to fulfill something that we never got, say, in childhood, then it becomes or can become very dysfunctional. And this is my concern with you, Sandy, is that what this girl may not have gotten in childhood, she seeks in others, but there's uh, there's some poison in the mix there because the people she's been attracting probably has the qualities that she loves at first and then their true colors show and now she's in an abusive situation. So when she gets with someone that is healthy, like I said before, it's a foreign concept. She doesn't know what to do with it. So that could be happening and the other things I mentioned could be happening. But in answer to your question, which I've already pretty much addressed, is, you know, what do I do with this feeling? It's all-consuming. 
you're only consumed because you hope it can be worked out. You hope you get back together. So the idea is to, in this particular circumstance, uh, let go of hope. This is awful. <laughs> I hate to say this. Let go of hope that you'll be back together. Let go of a belief that you and her can work it out. Because what happens is when you let go of these things and let her go, then when you start moving on, you'll really start to understand where she lies. I mean, in the sense of what she feels about you, what she thinks about you. Because right now you're, you're seeking that from her. But if you stop seeking anything from her, you'll get to some deeper truths for her. She may be 100% right. She may be afraid to connect with you at a deeper level because it scares her. I know it scared my girlfriend. When we started um, getting closer and closer, uh, it was a foreign concept for someone to love her without uh, pain or any type of abuse. You know, she didn't have as many abusive relationships as this girl sounds like, but she's had, you know, a past with people that weren't very healthy for her. So I come into the picture and I, I hopefully have healed from anything that I've brought into other relationships. And um, if anything comes up, we talk about it, we work on it. I uh, keep a safe environment for her to express herself and um, we get through anything that comes up. But it's taken a long time for her to develop a trust for me that will allow me to get closer to her. I still think that <laughs> there are times when her old triggers come up or her old patterns come up where she goes, hmm, I don't trust relationships in general, so I'm going to get into this space of a little disconnect. It can happen. It can happen to all of us, really. Like we see a sign of something in our relationship and we go, oh, this happened in my past relationship. I better put my guard up. I better be prepared for this. That can happen. But my point is that um, any type of abusive past, you're going to have, I hate to say it, emotional baggage with it. Abused people have uh, wounds. They, they are emotionally wounded. And sometimes there's not much they can do until they get help until they express themselves honestly with people that they feel safe with. And it can take sometimes years. It can take sometimes years for someone to be in a close relationship. And even then, they still feel a little unsafe. And, uh, you know, I was just watching something on, um, I think, YouTube or TEDx that talked about how the brain changes from abuse and how... There's two parts of the brain, the thinking brain and the animal brain, and how the animal brain develops the fight-or-flight uh, quick response system. And uh, the thinking brain is, you know, you rationalize, you formulate, you calculate, you think. I mean, there's other things there too, but the animal brain, the animal brain actually thinks faster than the thinking brain because it has to be on the job all the time. It has to jump if something comes at you. It has to run. It has to fight if it needs to fight. I mean, it causes you to fight or it causes you to run. This animal brain kicks in. It's our emotional triggers. Everything that we've been exposed to, the animal brain is almost in, in front of it. I don't know if animal brain is the right term. It's the, it's the one the teacher used on the TEDx talk I watched. But um, it's a good term to at least refer to that, the fight or flight mechanism. Because if the animal brain is thinking faster than the thinking brain, guess who wins? Guess who comes in first? Guess who makes decisions 
And I like this term, guess who's driving the bus? Like, who's driving the bus of your mind? Who's driving the bus of your body? If it's your animal brain and it's been exposed to a lot of trauma and pain and abuse, it's going to make decisions for you, not your thinking brain. That's why sometimes it's very important to have a breakthrough, enlightenment, uh, therapy, a breakdown, something that's so impactful that it shifts your thinking, it shifts your reality, and you have a massive realization that, oh, so you are safe for me. You know, something major happens, and they have this realization. You're safe for me, or I don't have to be scared anymore, or I don't have to be so protective anymore because that reality that I used to know doesn't exist. So she's very likely holding on to some old beliefs and old patterns, and she might need uh, some help with that. But you don't have to be the one to help her. You can be. I'm saying that's all right. But if you have an emotional attachment to her and you have some sort of agenda or outcome that you want to happen, then you might find that uh, just some disappointment there. So this is one of those times in life where you go, you know, I have to accept that this is absolutely going to work out 100% and I have 100% faith and I don't mind waiting till the end of time or I don't want to wait to the end of time and I'm just going to make a decision today. And if it's not today, then put a mark on the calendar. I always like deadlines. Put a mark on the calendar for one month from now and you can gauge have things gotten better. Have things moved in the direction that you want them to move? You know, if you don't want to do a month, do two weeks. Do something that gives you, uh, I guess you'd call an escape plan. It gives you an escape plan. So you escape from your own anxiety. You escape from your own consuming thoughts. If you have this escape plan, that deadline you put out in the future, then when it arrives, you can really make a decision. You're, you're priming yourself for a change in your life. And that change could either be, I'm going to wait forever. This is great and it's going in the direction that I want. Or, no more waiting. I need to move on now. So I think all of this leads to just facing some realizations and not staying in a rut. Not staying in this limbo that, like you said, that's a great word for it. I hate limbo. As soon as my wife said, uh, I want a divorce, well, not as soon, but as <laughs> like a few days after, I asked her, okay, uh, is there any chance for us at all? Can we do anything? Can we go to therapy together? Is there any chance that we will ever get together again? And um, she thought about it, and then she said no. And as much as that hurt, and as much as I didn't want to hear it, it was exactly what I needed to move on. And uh, from that point on, I've decided to create my own no's. N-O, meaning if something is not working out the way I want it, then I have to come to a completion. I have to close this open loop, this unfinished business in my mind and just tell myself, this is it, it's over. Or I can talk to the person that I'm you know, involved with and say, look, uh, this isn't working out. I need to know if this is going to work out. I need to know where we're going with this. And if they're iffy and they're not sure and they're, they're giving me this bad feeling, then I need to come to closure and say, that's it then. I need to stop this because I can't stand being in this state. It really is all about how can I take this anxiety or stressful state away? And it's either waiting for someone else to change or doing the change yourself. 
be the change. So I don't know if any of this helps. I think you're in a place where you have these feelings and they're impossible. It feels impossible to turn off, but that's because you do have some faith, some hope. And as much as I want you to have that in other situations, this kind of situation isn't always helpful to keep faith and hope that it'll work out because it feels like you're being strung along and you are more worthy than that. You are worthy of an answer. You are worthy of someone making a decision in their life, taking action in their life, because life is short. <laughs> Even though we lived 90 years, some people don't live 90 years. Some people don't live 50 years. Some people die very young. Life is too short to sit in stagnation and wait for the world to change. You have to do the things that you need to do for you to reach closure in you so that you can move on. And who's to say you start moving on and three months from now, she's like, wow, I really like the person you are. I really love being with you. Let's get together again. And then at that point, you can go, wow, I can actually make a choice. Yes or no with a with a clear mind. This is a nice feeling. I want you to get there, Sandy. Thank you so much for writing. We'll be right back after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank C.B. Cott for leaving their five-star review on iTunes. C.B. says, I love it because he talks through the problems in my head and works through them like a massage <laughs> or something like that. Like there are knots in his brain and I'm massaging them out. It's amazing that I didn't know what I didn't know. Thanks, Paul. I have shared this with friends. The world needs more people like you. C.B. Cott, thank you. And I'm going to tell you this. The world needs more people like you too for taking the time to reach out and say something like that. Thank someone. Make someone feel good. You made me feel good. So thank you too. And I want to thank StoryWorth.com. I want you to visit StoryWorth.com forward slash brain and get $20 off. It's a great gift. Check it out. I highly recommend you just take a look at it and see what it's all about took me a few minutes to understand what it was what it was and then to uh, convey that message back to you but I, after I figured it out I wanted it so bad <laughs> I've given it to several people now and I can say that they're very happy with it and enjoying the process so check them out storyworth.com forward slash brain and if you haven't heard yet the A to Z of self-empowerment is the book the overwhelmed brain personal growth for critical thinkers that's right if you don't know how to get to full self-empowerment and you're trying to handpick episodes from the Overwhelmed Brain Library, but you're just not sure where to start and where to go, get the book, The Overwhelmed Brain, Personal Growth for Critical Thinkers, available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and other fine booksellers, and even your local public library, I think. <laughs> I found it in several libraries, so find the book, check it out. And I want to thank the members of the Patron Program. If you're in the Patron Program, you're enjoying private episodes, worksheets that'll help you through a lot of challenges in your life, video coaching, and especially email coaching. A lot of you are enjoying the email coaching program, and it's always good to connect with you uh, directly through email. So check it out. Go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com if you're interested. And thank you to existing patron members who are supporting The Overwhelmed Brain and helping bring it to you once a week. 
And whether you're a patron or not, I want to thank you if you've purchased one of my books, worksheets, or used the Amazon link on the website. The Amazon link is the easiest way to give back, so if you've been listening for four score and seven years so far, let's check it out. Then use that Amazon link every time you shop there. Your shopping habits make a big difference and help contribute to the operating costs of this show. You can find the Amazon link at theoverwhelmedbrain.com and just use it before you shop. It's really easy. And finally, thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And to close the show, I'm going to talk about uh, something that we talked about, um, not you and I, but um, some friends and I talked about on uh, last Wednesday night. We were having um, group get-togethers at our house, and um, the subject of joy came up. And I'm like, joy, that sounds like an interesting topic. Let's talk about joy and what does it mean? And what does it mean to you? And, you know, some people, or at least many people in the room, were talking about how uh, joy is that what you're born with and what you are underneath through and through. Like it's a deeply, I don't know, spiritual connection to yourself or what you should feel at the deepest level of who you are. And I was listening to people comment on joy. It's not really my favorite subject matter, <laughs> quite honestly. I mean, because joy to me has more of a, um, I don't know, kind of a new agey feel like joy, joy to the world. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's just I don't really resonate with it too much. So I was listening to everyone and they were talking about joy and they said, um, a lot of them said that it was this intrinsic, my word, part of you. And I finally chimed in and said, you know, I don't feel joy like maybe you guys do. I feel um, more at peace and comfort uh, way underneath. Like there's a place where you go when you're balanced, when you're not too excited, uh, when you're not um, too depressed, when you're just in the middle between ultimate happiness and ultimate sadness, ultimate fear and ultimate courage. There's a homeostatic state, that balanced state that you settle down into. It's sort of like a, an old scale. Have you ever pulled up on an old scale? Like you pulled up on the little platform that things sit on and the numbers actually go in the negative? I don't know if those scale, like electronic scales do that today, but I remember an old scale that did that. You could actually push down on it and it would be like 20 pounds, 20 pounds, 30 pounds, 100 pounds, 200 pounds. But if you pulled up on it, the numbers would go in the negative. And uh, that's what reminds me of the homeostatic state, is that the zero point, when nothing is weighing down on it, and when nothing is pulling up on it, is the balance point. And so if you add emotions to that scale, you feel things weighing down on you. And then when you uh, take away some negative emotions, or process and release them, you feel that number going down. It's like uh, it's lifting up off of you. And so that's kind of a neat way to look at it is that um, when you have these negative emotions, they weigh down on you. You can see the scale number getting higher and higher and it feels more and more weight on your shoulders if you want to look at it that way. So I was thinking uh, during our conversation at our house that this homeostatic state where I'm feeling most balanced is I'm not in a place of joy. I'm in a place of peace and comfort and satisfaction and I enjoy that state but I don't feel like I'm joyful 
Joyful to me was more fleeting, like happiness and playing, you know, is kind of joyful. And so I, I said this and、um, everyone is very open minded and they heard me and they, you know, just went along with it. They asked me a few questions and I asked them questions about what they think about joy and we had a good conversation. Again, it wouldn't be a topic of conversation that I would normally choose, but it helped me、uh, consider where I go when I'm not feeling bad or good. I'm just in the middle. Where am I? And I just feel at peace. So, regardless of my state, the only reason I mention that is because、uh, as I was exploring、uh, that, while I was explaining where I went, where I go in that balanced state, I realized that、um, for a long period of time, there was a negative stream of emotions kind of flowing in me. I felt this underlayer of, I don't know, depressive thoughts, depressive emotions, sadness, maybe anger that maybe transformed into sadness. And I carried that with me everywhere I went, and I felt it all the time, but not in the moments. Like, there were moments when I thought I was happy, and I thought I was enjoying myself, and I thought I was at peace. But I noticed after those moments, and I went back to my zero point, my homeostatic state, that I would feel the scale push down and feel weighted with that underlying stream of negative emotions. It's that stream that、um, around the age of 35, when I finally let go of some hatred and some sadness and some anger, That the depth of the stream got、um, more shallow. And as it got more and more shallow, as I learned to process, release, and heal from a lot of stuff from my past, I noticed there was something else under the stream. Now, this may be what they were talking about like, there's joy under there. And I didn't go to a place of joy when I thought about this. I went to a place of Wow, that's peaceful. And、uh, some people may call that joy. I call it peace. I call it comfort. I call it satisfaction. And I'm pretty darn happy <laughs> knowing that that's there, that there's this homeostatic state of peace, that when things aren't too bad and things aren't too good, they're just in the middle, just right. There's that peaceful state. I tell you this because as you let go of、uh, these negative emotions that might be inside of you, that that stream gets more and more shallow. That stream eventually thins out where the undersurface starts to give way to whatever your homeostatic state really is. Because a lot of us go through life with a quote balance. That we're just trying to avoid feeling bad most of the time, not knowing that there's something underneath that feeling bad. You know, we've all had challenges, we've all had issues, we've all had different things that happened in our past, some worse than others for sure. But imagine if、um, all of that went away. Imagine if all of that healed and you were able to just release it. Then that stream of negative thoughts would be so shallow that it may not exist. And then what's under that? Probably something good. And、um, I know there are some people listening now that probably have never accessed that. And I just want you to know it is there. It's under there. I know this because I didn't think it was for the longest time. 
I went 35 years until I realized, whoa, there's something else down there too? Yes, there is. It's under there. And you do need to uh, do the work. You do need to go through some healing and do some processing and releasing. That's one of the reasons I come out with this show every week. If you can get through some of your crap, some of the stuff that you're holding on to, whether consciously or unconsciously, uh, willingly or unwillingly, if that stuff can come up and be released, guess what happens? You feel lighter. The scale number goes down. The weight lifts. And then soon you're at that zero point. And then maybe into the negative. I know it's kind of strange thinking this way. <laughs> but the, as you pull up on the scale, it's like lifting that stuff off of you. And then the peace or the happiness or the joy comes and then you feel great. But I do like the idea that uh, once I shallowed that stream of negative thoughts, that there was something underneath that I didn't know was there. So keep that in mind. If you're ever in a bad mood, just know that there is a place even deeper that will reveal itself as long as you continue to work on yourself and heal yourself and release negativity, release toxic thoughts. And, and, you know, it's a process. I'm not just saying, hey, release it all and you're good. It's a process. And it's a process I talk about every week. So keep listening, keep working on yourself, keep doing everything you can to get through it, to reveal the peace, the comfort, or even the joy inside of you. And if you haven't even begun that process, let me tell you how. You start with opening your mind and stepping into your power and choosing to be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.